Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. Today's movie is The Wicker Man from 2006. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have a special guest, Holly Gore. Hello, Holly. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Now, why did you want to talk about The Wicker Man? I wanted to talk about The Wicker Man because I have a fondness for it, for its ridiculous scene with the bees that happened later on with the movie. That's always endeared me to it. So now there's a little bit of a heartbreaking story here in that the version you rented on Amazon didn't actually have that scene. Correct. So I'm, I'm assuming that when we're talking about the movies, all, all spoilers are off, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. So yes. So to review for this episode, I watched it by renting it on Amazon last evening. And I got all the way through the film and the not the bees part was totally missing. From what I can tell, and maybe you know in your research, because I know you sort of went through a little existential crisis late last night. Correct. Um, <laughs> I think it's pretty much, it seems like the same movie until the very end. <laughs> and there's some pretty nasty stuff that happens to Cage that they just cut out of the theatrical version that apparently director Neil DeBute wanted an R rating, but the studio wanted PG-13, so they just sort of cut out this stuff at the end. Because up to that point, there's nothing too bad. So in either of your research, did you see, I mean, it's pretty much just the ending that's different, right? Yeah, from what I could tell, it's just the ending that when the when Rowan leads him back to the group of people and they all close in on him and he tries to fight off one or two and they just encompass him, it keeps some of the audio where he's screaming and contesting that he's not one of them and it's not going to work. And then the visuals just overlay from that like mob scene around him to them marching all up to the Wicker Man and totally skips over both the knee breaking, uh, everybody looking at him and being like, yes, like this is what's going to happen. And the, the <laughs> my favorite moment, the not the bees. And you get a little bit of an extra scene at the end. I don't know why they added that, but they have the scene at the end with James Franco and Jason Ritter. That's not in the extended cut. You know, they drag him into the Wicker Man, end of Nicolas Cage. And then it goes to the scene with the two cops, the seduction scene that they're setting it up for, you know, their next sacrifice later on. So it's very, it's it's weird that it's so similar and then just completely different. I don't know why we don't necessarily, I guess it's more of a punch to end the movie with Cage just burning. Because the, the, the way the, the my, our, our version ends, the extended version, is that he just burns to death and the screen sort of fades to black and that's the end of the movie. So it's a real downer of an ending as opposed to setting up that this is something that's going to continue forever. Well, and I thought it was really strange, at least for me, whenever somebody talks about the Wicker Man online, they reference the not the bees part because it's just so over the top and so ridiculous. And just to have that missing from this film. Um, and, and that's why last night, you know, I, I watched it and it was two in the morning when I finished and I spent an extra hour online making sure that the not the bees scene was actually part of this movie because it just, you know, glossed right over it. And I was like, did I make this up? Is it from a different cage movie that has bees in it? And yeah, and researched it and made sure it was in there and then was just curious why they would cut that out of it. So apparently, from our research from, I think from mentioned in Lindsay Gibbs' book, Neil Butte and Nicolas Cage wanted to make this movie be an absurdist black comedy that was incredibly over the top. Nicolas Cage wanted to have a mustache he could twirl and be like this sort of, like, I don't, I don't even know, just this crazy de- like movie detective that they knew they were making something silly. And so in that scope, this crazy 
ending that people know and love, the reason a lot of people, I think, watch this movie for, that sort of fits in there. Most of the movie, I don't know if it necessarily fits that ideal. There are some things, and we'll get to those as we go back, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if it necessarily fits in with the absurdist black comedy scope. Yeah, I think the movie sort of escalates a little as it goes along, both in its absurdity and in its comedy and in its horror. And, you know, they have that scene where, you know, he has visions and a a lady explodes into bees and there's, you know, (laughs) some special effects and some strange things going on and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't have been entirely out of place. However, it might have made the film seem more of a horror film. I mean, I, I thought of films at the time like Saw and there's a lot of that going around just like this torture porn horror stuff and maybe just theatrically they wanted to lean away from that with this coda scene possibly set up a sequel of some sort starring James <laughs> Franco which would have been amazing they took the advantage they could with home release and altered it to the way I guess he originally conceived the movie to be maybe it followed the script tighter there's parts of this movie that are funny because they're funny it's hard to figure out how to think about this movie I think mm-hmm. that there's the one scene maybe my favorite scene of the movie when he goes to that classroom and he's talking to Molly Parker who plays Jackie Sharp on House of Cards and who was on Deadwood, right Mike? Yeah, the Widow Garrett. He's talking to her about looking for this girl and he's talking to all the girls looking to see if they know their missing classmate and he opens a desk and a bird flies out and he just says, What? What? We trapped the little old bird inside to see how long he can stand it. Now, why in the hell would you let them do a sick thing like that? Like, it's such a weird thing. I guess it could be just played for scary, but the way he delivers the line, it's just like he can't believe the world that he finds himself in. Yeah, I think time and time again, the character even repeats over and over the line, I don't understand, I don't get it, I'm never going to get it, you know, and these are thoughts that start crossing my mind, you know, the deeper I get into this movie, too. At one point, I just sort of let myself go and give into the film, and I think that's what it it wants you to do at a certain point as well, and I started to roll with it a little little easier than, (laughs) than I was expecting. Yeah, definitely for not understanding his environment, he just makes the absolute worst choices that I think a a detective cop could make. You know, you show up and you're like, all right, this is a little weird and this is a little weirder and oh, let me go down into this tomb and there's, you know, water under here and I'm going to open this small little hatch and just go and (laughs) just bad decisions all around. But he continuously says like, I don't know what I'm doing here or what these people are, what's up, but then just makes the absolutely like most backwards choice despite of that. It is a series of really baffling bad decisions. Going back in terms of the scope of Cage Club, Mike, this is kind of another long con, sort of, right? Absolutely. He kind of routinely puts himself in danger, and he's putting himself into these situations like when he goes underwater and really easily could die. Without knowing it, the whole island is sort of out there to protect him and make sure that he makes it to the ceremony at the end so they can sacrifice him. I really wonder if the island was not trying to protect him, whether they were just neutral or trying to kill him, how long he would have lasted 
especially given all these terrible decisions he's making. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the things like the water and stuff, and I, th- I think they're just throwing in scenes to play with symbolism, right? And just, you know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense because we're just having fun to a degree. And also, you're right. It's like, is this really part of, like, is this part that they foresaw? Were breadcrumbs actually leading to this point for him? And did, <laughs> what if he did drown at that point? Whoops, like, the harvest would have been lost and (laughs) it takes tons of liberties but i suppose that's part of the point they kind of treat him with kid gloves the entire time i guess because at the end of the movie i remembered most of this at the end of the movie when he has the gun and he pulls the gun on the entire crowd of people and he threatens to shoot them Mm -hmm. i was like i'll just kill you not that he's going to like be be that quick to kill himself but he could in theory kill himself and ruin the, the harvest but they again plan ahead and take the bullets out and so everything even these situations that seem dangerous they're not letting him be anywhere near to a situation where he could really get into trouble they picked a really bad choice like they set it up that you know you were chosen and this was set up he almost guilt gets himself killed two or three times <laughs> so they basically have to handle their sacrifice like ah he got himself stung he's gonna die so let's bring him back to life here or he goes swimming and they lock him in there but then she finds him the next day it's almost like they have to like put on bumper lanes to make sure he doesn't <laughs> accidentally kill him himself before they can and i was thinking you know next time choose a guy who isn't allergic to bees which (laughs) seems to be the island's livelihood like Mm -hmm. what a bad coincidence for them you know (laughs) (laughs) and i also feel the film is somewhat bound by the fact that it's a remake it would have been kind of smart to deviate at the end and you know he never gets burned in the wicker man like in the original maybe that's a little too smart for this film (laughs) or it's just not where they want it to go and i feel that at moments like like the classroom scene like there's a great classroom scene in the original and and this one is just it's nothing quite like that but I feel like it's like, okay, we need to hit certain signposts along the way. And that might add to the confusion that I'm getting from, from the plot or the mystery or the, or the lack of any of that. I'm getting kind of bored at points watching it. I think it's really funny thinking about their long con about how Willow, five or six years ago, whatever, started this relationship with Cage, got engaged, got pregnant, broke it off. And she gets back to the island, and she's like, all right, guys, like, I set it up. He's going to be here in a couple years. <laughs> One thing, though, he's allergic to bees. Sorry. <laughs> and like, oh, like, no, you just ruined everything. So in terms of comparing this to the original, though, Holly, have you seen the original? I have not. Like, it's like a cult classic. Like, it's like a famous, really well, highly regarded movie. And this movie is similar in ways, but also does a lot of things in terms of just referencing it. Like, there's a maypole that they pass in the background. They reference May Day. There are characters named after people from the original movie that it seems kind of like it's sort of like a spiritual successor as opposed to a straight remake, but also at times kind of just like a straight remake, right? Yeah, I feel like it's definitely paying homage at certain points. The original is much more about May Day and pagan Celtic culture, and the police officer that comes is like a Catholic, diehard Catholic, and he's investigating, and he finds out it's sort of like this pagan island. There's men and women, and the lord of the island is played by Christopher Lee. He's very imposing, almost seems like wizard-like in that movie way back then Um, and there's no bees whatsoever that I can remember I think they're just like their harvest is just for the community they're much more isolated it seems than they are in this they they don't sort of run an organic
organic farm of like honey out of the back door of their crazy island. Oh, they didn't have like an e-commerce website back in 1973? <laughs> nope. That you could search for four things, including bee products? <laughs> no. So the movie begins, and like the first person we see is Aaron Eckhart, and he has one line, and he just gets out of there. Which is weird. Forgetting for a second about James Franco and Jason Ritter at the end, where did all these people come from? Like, why are they in the movie for one line? Like, are they just like buddies with Neil LeBute? I sort of had a. I have a theory about Franco. Nicolas Cage directed Franco in the film Sunny, so right. perhaps he was like, "Hey, Nick Cage's Saturn Productions did help produce this film, so perhaps he was like, "Hey, could you come do a day? We need an extra guy. Like, we wrote this scene, and uh, maybe he was like, "Sure, buddy, anything for you." I got, <laughs> I got this like great friend of mine, Jason Ritter. You know, his dad was great on Three's Company. Can he come? Sure, I knew his dad. Whatever. You know, who knows? <laughs> so where does Aaron Eckhart fit into this? I have no idea. So okay, so here's. But here's the real question. So Cage is friends with this guy in this diner, and he turns out that Cage is a motorcycle cop, and they show him riding down the street. He's just giving out tickets, and then he sees a girl toss a doll from a car, and he scoops up the doll, pulls the car over, and hands the doll back. That's the girl. That's Rowan. That's the one who's missing, right? Right? That's what I thought. The picture they have, it just looks like her. And all the other little girls on the island, they have the same blonde hair and the braids, but it seemed to me like that was the girl like I even had to pause and ask myself like that's the same girl right and I I cheated a little bit I just I hit the rewind and I was like okay that is the same girl so how did she get there okay guys I got a theory and it's gonna okay I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna hurt your brain or not twins she's a twin and it's a bait. It, she's like a bait to lure him in at this point. And if you look throughout the film, when they go to the classroom especially, it's like Village of the Damned in there. Like there's sets of twins and there's like lots of lookalikes and things. And then there's the blind twins, right? The really old sure. ones mm-hmm. that are like, they look like witches. Yeah, I'm like, this is a twin. That would, I guess, make sense. I mean, there's a lot of questions about this scene. <laughs> <laughs> like did they just, were they actually there? Was it magic? Maybe. Who was the mom? Was she also from the island? Did they really die in this fiery explosion of a car crash that, again, you know, this is basically what five of the last, like, seven or eight movies? Car crashes in all these movies for us. Was that truck part of their plan? Like, what about this was planned by the island? And what about this was just sort of a a happy, weird coincidence to get Cage all disheveled and confused and sort of have taking a break from the forest so that he would be able to go to the island? Like, what of this was planned and what was an accident? I know, I know that we don't necessarily know. I'm just sort of, I'm looking for some kind of inspiration or theories here. No, it is really weird because the car accident happens, everybody blows up, and then he's trying to confirm their identities, but there was apparently no identification for them or records. And then he gets this envelope in this mail, like, help me find my daughter, she's missing. And I would have looked at that picture and been like, oh, this is the girl that died, and just wrote a letter back to the island and say, no, sorry, she, she died last <laughs> week. Dead. That's it. And like, there, 20 minutes, film's over. Yeah, I wondered too, was that letter on the way before this accident even occurred? And then I was like, well, if this is all a big con, was this just left to chance? Did they just need to get him on a busy highway and the girl would sort of throw the doll so that the truck, I imagine, swerved to miss Nick Cage and hit the car on the side of the road? It is um, a lot of luck for them that he sort of suffers a trauma that comes in handy once he's on the island. You know, in the beginning, we have images of him 
almost on fire, right? Like just at the end, he's going to be on fire. You know, the girl with the red hood and all that kind of imagery comes back later. If it wasn't part of the plan, it's pretty damn lucky it all happened. I feel like the reason that he goes to the island is because the letter that he gets doesn't have a stamp on it. He's just like, that's weird. She must have been here. He's like, I better go figure that out. The little girl in the car definitely fits in with the island. Just this super creepy, weird, wise beyond her years, spooky girl. Mm-hmm. The mom seems relatively normal, but then again, I guess Willow sort of seemed normal for most of the movie too. So maybe she was just better in terms of playing the part to get him there. I don't know. It feels like she's from the real world. And the little girls from the island. And I think they mentioned, too, because, you know, she, doesn't she say she's been acting out because we're moving and the car is full of luggage? Right. There's really no explanation for that either. Like, are they fleeing the island? Is it just a super elaborate decoy? They went to Macy's before, fill up the car with a bunch of stuff so that, like, the explosion's extra rad. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, you just don't know. Like, were they going there? Were they coming there? Were they fleeing there? It's not really explained ever. Yeah, it's... It's all part of the absurdity, I suppose. So Cage has to get to this island that it takes... The movie begins in California. This island is somewhere off the coast of Washington. So he goes up there, and he has to get to the island. And he has this interaction with this guy who flies goods out there. I guess he he flies stuff out and brings stuff back or whatever. (laughs) I just like this little scene because Cage says, Ahoy there! The guy's like, I don't don't know what you're talking... Like, what... Who greets people like that? And he's just like, I don't I don't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just like this whole like cage just not fitting in with the world. I just love it. Ahoy there. Who's that? Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to say. No, just go with hello. Right. Hello. Uh, you know anything about a place called Summer's Isle? Yes, I do. In fact, I make most of the deliveries around there. Deliveries, huh? Yep, just about every day. That's what I'm doing now. What would I have to do to catch a ride with you? Oh, no. I don't care to lose my contract with these folks. They're very particular. All right, well, then just drop me down on the beach or whatever they have out there, and I'll walk into town. The answer's still no. Come on, it's just a few miles. I could practically swim that. Well, you better start swimming, then. Why? What's the big deal? Because it's private. He's off limits, and we respect that. We're all private people around here. Yeah, but you're so warm and open, it really makes up for it. All right, I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay, look, how about you take all of us there? What do you mean, all? Well, me, Mr. Grant here, and his twin brother, Ulysses. Yeah, I think it, it immediately will set up that he's definitely a stranger in a strange land here. He, he's the fish out of water for the rest of the film, and he's just not going to fit in, even with this guy who has the most contact with the real world. He doesn't actually, I don't think he lives on the island because he, he can talk. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone, any men on the island, doesn't seem like they can speak. They may have been, mm-hmm. had their tongues taken out at some point. I like it as a character set up for Cage. He's just always going to be sort of out of step with the culture that he's about to encounter yeah and even when he goes to bribe the guy it rather than be like hey guy you know i'll give you a hundred bucks to bring me to the island he's like hey it's mr grant and his identical brother (laughs) you know ulysses and i I had to stop and be like wait okay how much money is that like what that's okay (laughs) like all right a hundred bucks but like a normal person would be like dude 
I'll give you a hundred bucks if you bring me to the island. That sound good? It's just it's just such a weird line. It's also weird that the guy accepts his offer. Like the guy seems scared of the women on the island or scared of mm-hmm. like what the, the the magic of the island or whatever you want to call it. He says no to Cage and Cage's like, here's a hundred bucks. He's like, All right, let's just go. Yeah. Like it didn't seem like he was that close to accepting it, but then he accepts it and we head off to the island and then we get there in Cage again, you know, whether he's getting to the island or on the island, he's this fish out of water and he just has this really awkward interaction with these women trying to be like, Hey, I'm a cop, do you recognize this picture and they're not even looking at it you know something's wrong I, I don't is he a good cop for sticking out or like a bad cop for not leaving and going to get back up I don't know. I mean, he's not officially on any type of case, right? Like, he goes to the guy at the police station, and it's kind of funny where he's like, you know this girl? And he's like, kind of. We were engaged. I'm like, kind of? Like, sort of new. Or like, we were engaged? (laughs) What? Like, he just seems so passive about all that. I don't know. But this is sort of his own private investigation. That's the way I took it. I thought the pilot was sort of in on the whole deal as well, which is why he just, you know, this is your last chance to turn back sort of scene. And Cage, like, bribing the boat man across the river sticks to the island of hell or whatever have you i don't know <laughs> maybe Ooh. i'm stretching i have a lot of other horror references that kind of come up later and i almost felt at some point they decided to say you know what let's just fill this with like all of our sort of favorite references yeah when he gets to town here they make it quite obvious who's in charge and he like walks into the bar and like every every woman he talks to basically has no time for him which is a weird way to kind of keep him on the island that in the long run This was their plan to get him there, right? And so now he's there. You would think that they would be a little bit more helpful in terms of getting him to stay as opposed to frustrating him and sort of making him want to leave. But maybe they know that the mysteries of the island and the girl that he's looking for and this bag that may or may not be holding a shark, like maybe that's (laughs) enough to keep him there and want him to investigate further instead of leaving and going back home. What's in the bag? A shark or something? Yeah, you would think that if this has happened before Bad Crops, the the wicker sacrifice, they would have a lot more polished of a plan. And it's just kind of like, uh, we're going to make him uncomfortable, but then give him a room, but let him have free range to walk around and interview whoever he wants, but also kind of be creepy at the same time. Like, it's, I don't think either side really has a solid plan of what they're doing. I kind of got the idea at one point that maybe he arrived a day early he's not supposed to really right they're not going to burn him till tomorrow that's when the mm-hmm. festival is so i thought oh he's early like we have to kind of occupy him for a day plan b maybe make with mysterious island business like you know <laughs> that was something that did cross my mind and then the other thing was just it's the movie i suppose like this is going to be the second act is just going to be the mystery of the island tracking down his daughter and finding out that it is in fact his daughter a lot of this movie is Cage walking around just looking for answers and not getting any answers. Everybody is like so frustratingly vague. He asks a lot of questions in this movie and they answer in a way that does not answer the question at all. Mm-hmm. And he just spends a lot of time asking questions then screaming for answers. <laughs> and he meets up with his ex-fiance, Willow, and he's just like, what's going on? And she's just like well, I can't really tell you anything, so I'm just going to sort of be vague here, and good luck finding things out. Even the person, ostensibly, who he thinks summoned him there, she's not even helping him. But again, I guess going back to Holly's point about that he's not a great detective, it doesn't, like, trigger anything, but she's not... As the movie goes on, she kind of opens up to him, 
and they start to reconnect a little bit, and especially when they start kissing a little bit later. In the meantime, like, she wrote this letter, and now he's there. Like, he went out of his way to get there, and she's not excited to see him. She's not really giving him information. All these red flags should be popping up. He, he's sort of got blinders on. Well, and even for me, red flag number one was he meets these three ladies, and two dudes come up with a big burlap sack that has blood <laughs> dripping out of it. And for, you know, the detective cop, he goes to look in the bag, gets spooked, makes the reference about the shark, and then just is like, well, all right, I'm going to go check in. And that's it, and just walks away. I wondered if it was just to show they needed to remind us that he's jumpy and that ever since the car exploded in front of him with the girl in it, he's got issues with his nerves and stuff like that. It was strange, though. It never comes back, right? There are no sharks. At one point, he does end up in a burlap sack, so I wonder if that was just Chekhov's burlap sack. But what I'm sort of getting out of like this stuff like in the bar and everything is he's kind of out of his jurisdiction, right? Right? And he doesn't, he's not really like that aware of it. It's weird how he's representing like all the things I guess this female society hates about men. Like he's coming in there, he's killing bees, making this big speech. Oh, I'm going to be on the island for a few days looking for this girl. It's almost like he's like in a Western at this point. <laughs> he's totally not aware of his surroundings. So I agree, he's, he's a bad detective. Maybe that's why he was just like a motorcycle cop at, at the start. Well, they kind of call him out on it, right? They're like, oh, you're from California, huh? Like, well, we're in Washington state so what's your jurisdiction they're not saying you're a man on this island dominated by women or you're in here killing bees which were basically our goddess they're not being that obvious about it but they're basically saying you don't belong here you have no power here who do you think you are yeah they definitely set the tone because when he first meets sister honey that's when he realizes the book is missing the everything is okay tapes <laughs> and he's just like hey hey somebody i think stole something from my bag and she's like, no, no, nobody stole it. And then it's never brought up again. They totally set the tone for like, nope, you're on our island and we're just going to mess with you and do whatever we want and maybe answer your questions or maybe not and deal with it. Yeah, she's like, if you want an apple, I've got a huge basket of them right here. I'm just going to walk down the stairs with them. But I don't, I've never seen your tape before. <laughs> I, I, I was looking forward to like hearing that tape at some point, maybe on the boat ride over or walking through the woods and then getting scared by somebody with a mask on at some point. But it never comes back. He buys the tapes at the diner, at the truck stop at the beginning of the movie, and then it's just, it's weird that, like, I don't know why we see him looking at them, <laughs> and then, like, it, he could have said anything, like, you know, oh, someone stole my clothes, or someone moved my gun, or whatever. Mm -hmm. it's, it's this thing that he's just doing to do something in the first scene. I guess he buys it. I don't know. It just, it's very strange. But I guess that's also the moment in the movie, or it could be, where they take the bullets out of his gun, possibly. That they just sort of mess with him entirely in that one little moment. No, that makes sense. But again, you have, in a, a span of five minutes, a weird, creepy bag that you don't follow up on. Somebody steals your stuff you don't follow up on. And you get it to this inn, and they're unfriendly. And you're still like, no, nope, I, I think it's a good idea to stay here. Just kind of ride this one out. Another quick theory. Maybe they dosed him with something. The barmaid Ooh. says, you know, it's honey and this and that and a couple extra things and I was thinking maybe they dropped something on him I don't know it could just be that he's this aloof just out of his element and can't get his bearings he could just be so taken off guard by the society and how antiquated it seems and backwards and he can't get cell reception so he's not used to being disconnected and off the grid well that also fits in because he goes back to his room and has that weird sort of trippy hallucinatory dream 
and then wakes up and sees Rowan running through the woods and goes to chase after her into that barn, and he almost dies in the barn. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily real or if that's a dream, too, but... There's lots of things going on that, I mean, throughout the movie, they keep making mention of Don Quixote, right? At least Molly Parker keeps doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sister Rose. I don't know a lot about Don Quixote, but what I'm reading, a lot of it sort of parallels his journey here. But a lot of Don Quixote, like, you know, seeing windmills and thinking there's something else, what he's seeing isn't actually what it is on the island. Everything's sort of twisted and warped in some other kind of reality here. Yeah, I'm definitely getting fairy tale sort of imagery also to the girl's red hood is like Red Riding Hood. Uh, Lily Zobieski appears looking somewhat like Alice from Alice in Wonderland in this blue dress with sort of this white apron. Later, she's wielding an axe. It made me think of sort of the Huntsman from mm-hmm. Snow White. You know, Nick Cage in the bear suit, if I'm not mistaken, there was sort of like a magic bear at one point in a grim fairy tale, a, a man who transformed from bear to human or some sort of anamorph. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I actually hate this barn sequence because it goes like nowhere, you know? Like, oh, he almost dies, but that's the thing. Like, their whole plan would have been ruined. It doesn't feel like part of the plan. It feels like part of his trauma or something. Or so it feels like something unconnected to, it feels like something he's working out. We're trying to do like a spooky scene here, but I, I kind of wasn't buying it. That's what makes me wonder wonder if it was even real or not. If he seems to wake up after he has this weird dream and then goes after her. But later in the movie, he has that dream where he finds Rowan dead, and then he wakes up and finds her dead in his arms and wakes <laughs> up again. So there is this kind of precedent set a little bit later, albeit there is sort of a dream within a dream, a little bit of inception here. I mean, we don't really come back to it. You're right, like it doesn't make sense in terms of their plan to have him go run through this decrepit barn and have him fall through the ground and kill himself. It doesn't make sense there, so I don't know if it was necessarily real. Maybe it was just part of the dream and something more to plant the seed that this girl is on the island somewhere and he has to go find her. Yeah, and if anything, you think he'd be like, hey, I'm sorry that I kind of destroyed your barn last night. Um, (laughs) Like, just, you know, just decided to run in there at 2 a.m., mess some stuff up. Sorry about that. Again, it's just another thing where I'm like, all right, we're going to find something in this barn, a clue or whatever, and he just breaks it and then that's it. We move on. We never come back to the barn. There's no significance. And maybe it was just a dream, but it's just another string of things that something weird happens, but I'm just going to keep going. I feel like a lot of this movie might not be real. Like, they don't really do a good job in terms of like the film language to denote mm-hmm. that it might be a dream. Oh, not but at all. It, it, it seems like it could be. And even the way that he talks, he has this conversation, I think, with Rose, or maybe it was with Lily, or maybe it's with Willow, whoever it is. And he's like, what's happening the day of tomorrow? And she's like, the day after tomorrow? He's like, no, like the day (laughs) of tomorrow. I thought that's something you guys say around here. And she's like, what are you talking about? You mean what's happening tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And it's just, it's like nothing is real and nothing, nothing is what he's used to. And it's all just sort of close, but like one degree off. Um, Look, I'm sorry. What's happening here the day of tomorrow? You mean the day after tomorrow? It's kind of a strange way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I, I, I thought the other was a, a local expression. Mm, see, day after tomorrow would be May the 2nd. Well, nothing as far as I know. No, I, I mean tomorrow. What's happening here then? I told you. You did? 
Yeah, there was a point where I wondered if driving him mad was part of the ritual. It's like part of the fun and games for the town, you know, I guess. It's like choosing your rock before hurling it at the winner of the lottery or <laughs> something like mm-hmm. that. And then at some point I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if a monster does show up? Like they summon some Lovecraftian type demon in the end. And then it would sort of make sense. Like they needed to appease this creature and, you know, entice it and show like they're playing with its food or something something like that but no none of that really happens the island is so close to being like fully magical and maybe it is magical that it fits within the world that we see but not necessarily the world that they present to us i don't know but i would love to see a lovecraftian monster that'd be great everybody is just bees wearing people suits that they all like strip down at the last scene they take off the animal things to be human and then take off the human things to become just this colony of bee people yeah i I thought like Like, at one point, I was like, not absurd enough. I was thinking, actually, just imagining talking to a giant bee in his head, or, oh, that would have been great. But instead of bees wearing human suits, we have humans wearing bee suits later in the movie, where that woman is just covered in the the, the bee outfit, so... Yeah, uh, that's another thing, where they set it up, and you're like, whoa, it's like, okay, maybe there's, like, bee goddesses, or, you know, like, shapeshift into bees, but it's just... It's like, oh, a woman wearing a naked wearing bee suit and then nothing. And then he just keeps on going. Just another thing that you're like, this would be so cool. Just do something with it. Flesh it out. Yeah. Like if Ellen burst in, right? Because she is sort of like the queen of the hive, right? Like she's Mm -hmm. the goddess represented as mortal. Like, she is basically the human form of the... She's the Jacob of the island, right, Joey? Like, sure. If you want to get lost on here. It would have been sweet if, yeah, she had, like, anamorphed herself or something or was indeed some type of priestess with real powers and they got deeper into something like that and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe went a little cooler with some special effects or something. I was actually thinking something more like the ant bully, <laughs> which we just watched, where they have, like, the ant... They have the queen ant. And then they have, like, the mother ant. Oh, and yeah. so she's, she's kind of like the queen ant, that she runs this little hive, mm-hmm. but there's someone above her that they worship who sort of gave birth to everything. And so it's weird that we have, you know, this movie about ants, and then two movies later we have this movie sort of about bees. <laughs> they all are kind of women bees, queen bees, whatever, worker bees. Who knew that we could be able to draw comparisons between a G-rated animated movie with Cage and this movie, but... I think I think the, I think it's all right there. It's laid out for us. <laughs> this is when Cage really kind of doubles down in terms of fi- trying to find Rowan. But this is when he goes to the classroom, and nobody in the classroom has ever basically heard of her. They're all being as sort of obstinate as they possibly can, not giving an inch. And then he finds out that the teacher Molly Parker, Miss Rose, or Sister Rose, says that she was burned. That you know, and he's like, "What did you say?" And she's like, "I said exactly what I meant." Wait, oh, wait, Miss Rose, Sister Rose. Wait a minute. How'd she die? She'll burn to death. What? What'd you just say? Precisely what I meant to. She burned to death. He sort of had no answers, and now he has like a very definitive answer, and it's just not at all the answer that he was expecting. He's kind of thrown off guard by it. This classroom scene is just like great. Like I feel like this is where maybe they decided like we need to kick it up a notch, right? Like that's how I feel about this movie. Like at this point on, I'm starting to understand what everyone means by it's supposed to be taken as fun and not quite as seriously as as most other horror films. Sister Rose, like her overacting or acting is 
great here. Like she's having so much fun with this role and you can feel it, you know, and it, and it translates mm-hmm. for me. And, and I'm really digging what she's doing with this material because you could just tell she's playing with it. Cage is, I feel, having a little more trouble doing that. Maybe he's just not used to trying to act bad, you know what I'm saying? Or like trying to put on a role like that. I'm feeling it with the women in this movie. Like they're all coming across like really well and like they're having a great time. And Daisy, will you tell us what man represents in his purest form? Yes. Phallic symbol, phallic symbol. (laughs) School's really changed since I was a kid. Yeah, the women, when they play with him, they make it seem very natural. You know, this is a plot. You're coming further into our web. But when he's doing it, it's just really awkward. When he goes and commandeers the classroom, tries to get the ledger, and she stops him. But it's it's just this half-hearted stop, and it finds it, and he just, he calls them all liars. You little liars. Rowan Woodward is your classmate, isn't she? Isn't she? That is her desk. And you're the biggest liar of them all. I am warning you. You tell me another, and I'll rescue myself. That is a promise. Miss Rose, Sister Rose. Of course. Another plant. Rose. For the last time, where is this girl? But it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a classroom of little girls, and he's like, you're liars. You're terrible liars. And then he turns to her, and he's like, you're the biggest liar of them all. It's just such juvenile dialogue compared to how well Sister Rose played everything off. He's a very awkward cop and a very bad detective. That's what I'm saying is if, like he was going too big on purpose as opposed to sort of just playing it big there's movies that are just bad but they're not trying to be bad they're just you know they're made in earnest and they're they really tried to do a good job but they turned out Mm -hmm. just to be hilariously bad and then there are films that sort of set out to make like a cult comedy of some type i just feel like he's on that page and they're on the other page i feel like everyone else is like let's just make this movie as good as we can and if they think it's funny that's fine but at least they'll be watching it and talking about it whereas he might be approaching it as let's make a funny bad movie in terms of what we've heard about the movie how he describes and how the director apparently describes it i feel like cage has admitted mistakes that he's made in his career you know he's sort of stepped up to his own things Mm -hmm. that not every movie he's done has been great And so I don't think that he's lying when he says that they set out to make this absurdist black comedy. I think that that's truly what they wanted to do. Whether or not everybody else was on the same page, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to make that kind of movie. Who knows? But it sort of seems weird that the star, who's also the producer, and the director have this one vision and everyone else has the other one. In that sort of disconnect, that makes sense why no one else really knows what to make of this movie because it is sort of two very different things. Because it's two different things, it doesn't necessarily do either really well. Yeah, he doesn't pull it off, in my opinion. I've been watching the um, Ash vs. Evil Dead, and I think that's a really good juxtaposition of somebody who's really hammy and really campy, Bruce Campbell doing the whole role, against these kind of more straight men where all this wild stuff's happening, and he's just really over the top, and the other people are, are rolling with it. But when that's happening in Wicker Man, everybody's the straight man, and he's just not this campy, in control. It just feels awkward. A lot of times in this film, I was just like, ah, oh, what are you doing, guy? <laughs> <laughs> 
there is any silver lining to it, it adds to the fun of the confusion for me. Maybe if, if in scenes where they're on different pages, perhaps, or, or something like that, but just that he's supposed to be confused and confused and just more confused and stuff like that. So it, it enhances that maybe a little bit, if anything, just the fact that he's disconnected from these other people. But that's not going to stop him from trying to give his all, right? That he is committed to this movie. He is committed within the movie to finding this girl. Mm-hmm. And even if he's not on the same page, he's still going to go for it. And he's still going to try to find this girl. He follows people around. This is when he talks to Willow and finds out that it's their daughter. And then he finds those really creepy drawings on the underside of her desk. And that reminds me of the movie we're going to be watching soon, Knowing, where there's really kind of creepy drawings in that too. Weird, apocalyptic, scary kid art drawings, whatever. And finding out he had a daughter he never knew about reminded me of Matchstick Men. Unlike that movie, this is actually his daughter, I guess, probably, right? I mean, I guess we don't really know. It's all a con, man. That was a con. This is a con. (laughs) Well, I guess, no, it it is his daughter, though, because they needed a stranger to the island who was bound by blood, and so it is his daughter. It's just, it's not the relationship that he thought he was going to be getting. Going back to the help me thing that you mentioned, like the, the desk with the drawings, again, that's another thing that we see it for a few seconds, and you're like, help me like oh like what is this is control and then he doesn't even show the mom the drawings he's just like there's weird stuff under the desk let's keep going (laughs) they don't look for a picture of a bad man or directions or or any kind of details just "Eh, let's gloss over it i got one for you how about this after he leaves leaves sister rose in the classroom he's wandering through the woods and he's like lost or something and and he's like lady can you help me and the girl turns around and it's sister rose or her her clone or her twin and he's like did i just talk to you what what and i was like first of all that's not how you would react to seeing twin like you wouldn't be like didn't i just talk to you you wouldn't be like wouldn't you be like aren't you someone's twin and then she's like i don't know what you're talking about who's sister rose and all this and then that never comes back it's like hanging threads all over well i guess now that fits into what you were saying earlier though about the twins right yeah about yeah about the twins but i was expecting the rose sisters (laughs) the sister rose sisters to be playing sort of mind games with him for the rest of the film like he'd be talking to one and the other one would appear and you know he would get them confused for the rest of the film but Mm -hmm. no she just drops out as far as we know and then this is when he goes and he has the dream within a dream and he finds dead rowan in his arms the pilot's plane has been sabotaged the radio is broken they might have killed the pilot or he might have been in on the con he's just sort of sitting safe but the world is sort of beginning to crumble around him, right? That he sees the other Rose. This is not the woman that he just talked to. He finds out that the pilot is gone. His, his means of escape are gone. And he's kind of more committed to this island than he's ever been. And things are not going well for Cage. Yeah, at this point, I would have found a boat that was unattended, hopped in, rode to a different island, and been like, hey, I'm going to need some people to come back with me because there's some real weird shit going on. But nope, not a thought that crosses our hero's mind. Well, because he says in the beginning of the movie that he om- like he's it's close enough to swim to, yes, right? And exactly. So why doesn't he, try, why doesn't he exactly. try to swim away? That's what I thought when he jumped in, and I'm like, why are you stopping at the biplane? Like, just keep going, man. Keep swimming to the... I see the island from here. You can make it. I guess he is just sort of pot committed, right? That he's going to be here. He's already in the island. He's already... His stuff's here. And he's been talking to these people. He knows a little bit about what's going on, and he's not going to leave. I guess he's worried about Willow, because Willow does say to him, before he is talking about the day of tomorrow, he's talking to Willow, and she says, take me with you. And so I guess he feels ownership or responsibility of her. She's not in a good place here. 
their daughter is missing, he can't just abandon them, even if it's just for a little bit, because who knows what's going to happen while he's gone. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm just making excuses for why he stays (laughs) on the island. Well, I feel like they needed to establish him being trapped on the island. There needs to be that moment where it's like, okay, now I got a deal. And maybe the screenwriters just forgot that they wrote that line earlier on, where it's just a few miles, you could swim it if you had to. Uh, Mm -hmm. That kind of crossed my mind there for a minute. And I I was wondering, like, if this pilot wasn't on it, they, like, kind of, why would they mini Wicker Man him, right? Like, they, like, put sticks in his face and, like, up his arms and stuff. I was like, dude, you're breaking the contract there or something. <laughs> yeah, when they, he finds him, they didn't just, you know, like, slash his throat and throw him in, in on the beach. Like, it almost looks like his eyes and his mouth are sewn in a certain decorative way, which is, again, we never find out if somebody just be creative when they <laughs> off him. Like, was that meaningful? Like, it's just, it's another idea of many that's not fleshed out. Yeah, like, it seems something that would be cool, because there's this mystery kind of surrounding the men of the island, right? Mm-hmm. They're all these like mute slaves to a degree so maybe this sort of Cronenberg-esque like mutilation of the male was something that they did since birth and there's all kinds of deformities going on and that would have been cool and you could have referenced Dr. Moreau in some ways in here but they don't go that direction. I feel like they're just building the mythology of the island and just saying like look at all the crazy stuff that's happening here and like that's good enough for you right? (laughs) No not in the slightest. (laughs) So the like, the men we never see, but like, do, do you think like they have their tongues cut out because they don't talk? And also, what show is it where the men all have their tongue cut out, or there's like a group of people with their tongue tongue cut out? Yeah, I thought immediately of the Hunger Games, and not so much in the movies, but in the yeah. blogs, right? Like there are those people in the capital who are the servants with their tongue cut out and and things like that. And then, yeah, I just thought at first I just thought it was like don't talk unless you're spoken to. There seemed to be sort of this dominant sort of submissive thing happening on the island, and then later on when the guy tries to talk, he sounds like he doesn't have a tongue. And so he's, he's trying to get answers. He's, you know, I don't know if he's talking to the men yet, but they're not giving him anything. Willow's kind of opening him up. We don't really know that she's just feeding him the information that they want him to have, but he's not really getting anything. And then he finally gets his face-to-face with Ellen Burstyn, who is Sister Summer Isle, the woman that this island is supposedly named after. And this is kind of his opportunity to finally get all of the answers that he's been seeking. Well, even if you jump back, like, right before that scene, he does a little digging with the photographer's house. He goes in and he asks her the questions, and she just shuts the book she's reading, and it's surprisingly the big book of rituals. (laughs) And it's just another point that he's like, oh, big book of rituals. Hmm, I'm not going to follow up with her about it, just, and leaves the house. Because isn't it? He he leaves her house after like grabbing the picture, and that's when he like trips down the hill into the combs. Is that correct or no? He rides the bike down, and he sort of sees the combs, then just stumbles in, and all sorts of bad things happen. And oh yeah, and that that's when he wakes up in Sister Summer Isle's house, mm-hmm. right? I feel like in terms of the big book of rituals, he's kind of got. He probably has, hopefully has, like an internal to do list. Like okay, follow up about this, follow up about that, and we just never see him actually check things off his list. Like, he sees a lot of weird things happening. Maybe he's following up with them off screen for some reason that we're not seeing. (laughs) Or more likely, he's just not. He's just sort of like, okay, here's a lot of weird stuff I'm in the catalog and eventually come back to you later. There's so much weird stuff that I can't. If I begin to follow up on everything, I'm just not going to get to anything. I would like to see this film redone with, like, a really capable detective who, uh, (laughs) off the first bat, radios a team in and they, like, go and collect all this evidence. 
Yeah, I'd like to see a version where like a pair of detectives show up on the island at least, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just one guy. Like at least bring your partner along. Let's call in uh, Timothy Oliphant and Delroy Lindo and have them investigate <laughs> yeah, the, the island. Best cops in any cage movie <laughs> so far. After he wakes up in Sister Summer Isle's house, they meet with her. And she talks about how she's the spiritual heart of the colony. You don't seem very concerned. No. I suppose because I have confidence that your suspicions are wrong. We don't murder here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, even if a victim complies, it's still murder. Well, perhaps where you come from. But we have our own beliefs. Right, right, right. The festivals, all those offerings, to whom exactly? To the great mother goddess who rules this island with me as her earthly representative. You? Mm -hmm. I'm the spiritual heart of this colony. You honestly encourage this sort of worship? She's kind of answering his questions, but not in a way that makes any sense or that gives him any real meaning. I'm enjoying the movie just because it is crazy and I know what happens and I know what's coming. But I really wonder if at what point viewers are getting frustrated, that Cage is getting frustrated, that he's getting no answers. And I wonder at what point the viewers are like, all right, like, let's just find out like what is actually happening here. Yeah, in the Summer Isle home before he meets her... He wakes up and he's like, oh, did you use my EpiPen because I got stung? And the doctor says, no, we used it the old-fashioned way. And I was like, (laughs) all right, cool. This is like we get the mystery. Maybe this is connected to the ritual book. Nope. Nope. It just gets his stuff and is like, thanks. On I go. Like, I wish I, I, if I rewatch this, I'm going to keep a tally of just open-ended questions that just (laughs) I'm left with. And I'm sure it's well into the teens, if not 20s. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure where they were going to go with the Queen Bee, Ellen Burstyn route here. They go a little bit where I I thought they should have, and they don't go far enough. And they start talking, she starts dropping some lines about the Celtic history. And I'm thinking Stonehenge, and I'm thinking Halloween 3, and (laughs) my mind's starting to wander. But then he's like, oh, we migrated here from the 1850s. You know, we we were in Salem. We were burned there. And I'm like, cool, cool. Like, here we go, right? Like, witches or whatever magic is actually mm-hmm. going to happen. But no. Like, it was the perfect time, though. And, and it felt right. Like, it felt the direction that the movie should have gone. Like, they didn't need to go crazy. But they should have done, like, a little bit of toil and trouble with, like, a cauldron or something cool. <laughs> like, that would have been great. Well, I think what kind of works here in terms of questions and answers is that he finally has this woman who seems like willing to kind of give him answers, right? And he's gotten no answers at all up to this point. Mm -hmm. And so he just sort of asks a lot of questions and gets a lot of answers. But again, nothing's sort of like fleshed out. Like he finds out that he's like, like, well, what happens, you know, why are the men? Like they're just second-class citizens? And she's like, oh, no, like they have an important role. You know, we have to to repopulate after all. Men are what? Second-class citizens? No, not at all. We love our men. We're just not subservient to them. And men are a very important part of our little colony. <laughs> Breeding, you know. God. Quite a little racket you've got going for yourself here. Breeding? Sounds like inbreeding to me. Please don't criticize what you know nothing about. Don't any of you want to just be with someone? Fall in love? We procreate because that's the desire of the goddess. To assure ourselves of worthy offspring. 
the strongest, the finest, the most sturdy of our kind. I see. Female, right? And what if someone just happens to have a boy? What do you do then? That depends. He gets a little bit of an answer, and because he's getting that answer, he's so eager to get to another question, like, keep the momentum going and sort of get a little bit in pieces. But he never really gets a full answer and never really learns what's actually happening here. Even though he's getting answers, he's not really learning anything more, really. Yeah, he's not learning anything about his daughter. He's like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? What's up with this place? I don't get this place. Like, what's going on here? And she's like, long ago, in the 1800s, the Celtic grand people came over and migrated. And I'm just like, what? And he's like, shut up. And she's like, stop bullshitting me, right? He's He's like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? He finally gets permission to exhume her body. He's like, I want to dig her up. And she's like, all right, like, I already said you can, go ahead. And he digs her up, and it's just a burnt doll. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of the iconic lines from the movie where he's just, like, screaming at <laughs> Willow. This hers? Tell me! I, yes, I, I think it's, yeah. How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? I, How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? I don't know! Where are you going? Back to her place. And I'm coming with you. No, Willow, I mean it. But maybe if we... Why are you... Why are you looking at me like that? Something bad is about to happen. I can feel it. Go to the house and lock yourself in. I'll come back for you. Go! Now! He already knows that there's like a sacrifice, right? Half an hour earlier in the movie, he was talking to Sister Rose and she's like, oh, you know, she's gone because she was burnt. And he knows that there is like this ritual, so I don't know, it's a great little moment that he is finally getting somewhere, like he's he's progressing, but it's also, he really kind of knew this was sort of the case, right? So when he confronts Willow about the doll, did it burn, did it burn, did it burn, she just turns into a total airhead. Like, she's been super helpful up to this point, and been like, oh, we can't talk, we have to be careful, like, here's information, I, my daughter, and then she's like, oh, oh I don't know. How did that get there? Gee, I don't... Oh, wow. Jeez, I'm I'm real overwhelmed. I'm just going to sit here and look at you. I was frustrated a little bit at this point, too, because first I was like, man, are they really trying to like bring back the same doll from like the beginning? But then I was like, oh, obviously he made a report and there was a file and that was a detail and they're just trying to reenact in some certain situations to sort of trigger his trauma, maybe. But for what end? I'm not sure. Why did they have to bury the burned doll in the fake grave were they expecting him to yell at his wife and all this stuff i don't know how on track this plan is staying and i'm starting to wane off track as well and as the plan is sort of falling off the rails like everything else is too that he this is when he descends into the water and almost gets killed down there this is when he starts walking around the house and sees that bee stung mutated man mm-hmm. and the bee covered woman i guess this is sort of the beginning of the end for him now now that he's sort of finally getting answers the island is sort of taking over, and he doesn't know it yet, but like nothing he's doing from here on out is really of his free will. The plans are in motion, you know, the ceremony is sort of beginning. We're rocketing toward an end where he's going to be killed, you know, minutes or hours away from death and just doesn't know it yet. And he's so close to the truth, but also so far away. Yeah, I felt like this was definitely a point in the film where it goes wildly off the rails. Like, beforehand, there's a lot of stuff where you're like, well, what did that mean? And you can kind of gloss over it. But with the whole point when he goes into the crypt, swims around with a flashlight that apparently works 
awesome in water, <laughs> gets trapped there, and rather than like, oh, let me use this flashlight and see if I can get a different way out, just is totally content to hang out there until someone finds him the next day. There's no significance to somebody shutting him in there. She rescues him, and then goes back in the house, sees all like the weird people, and it's just like they just introduce all these weird aspects and nothing is explained, and it just doesn't even seem tied together. The whole stuff in the hive house, as I sort of called it, where every mm. room is like, it's almost like they're referencing The Shining a little bit, where it's like every room is just something bizarre going on for the sake of being like macabre or something like that, just for the weirdness sake of it. They don't really push it. Like he should have opened like 10 doors and seen like all this wildness happening and things like that. For the rest of the movie, it is going to be crazy town. And this is sort of what I was expecting for the whole film. They couldn't keep this pace up for an entire movie but the way it gets weird from now on is the stuff that i'm liking actually and i'm enjoying it on a level of like actual enjoyment like i like (laughs) the imagery right of the like the little kids with the masks running around and all this Mm -hmm. sort of toying with him and stuff but then it's also making me laugh because they're reaching the point of absurdity that I want them to. Like, just when he determines his grand plan to find Rowan is uh, he's going to search everybody's house one by one. (laughs) If she's in one house, they couldn't just move her to the next when he searches the next house and then put her in a different house. Like, it's it's the worst plan. And he's like, no, the next three hours, uh, this is what's happening and I'm going to find her. (laughs) I put my hand in my head and I was like, stop it. Yeah, and he's like a one-man Gestapo, right? Like, he's kicking down doors like flipping off masks, like pushing around little girls and stuff. It's nuts. He totally goes off the rails, but it is fun to watch because the other characters in the film are still playing and they're still really great to watch their expressions. Even when he steals Sister Rose's bike, she's so just still like alluring and in charge and slightly sexual and he's just like give me your bike (laughs) and rides away. Like nobody looks hard or tough riding a bike. The feathers. We're all preparing. For what? Celebration? Oh, yes. Of death. And rebirth. Sister Rose, she's only a child. You're a teacher. Please, just think about what you're doing. The time for sentiment is over. The moment has come. I won't let her die. So gallant, Sir Knight. Still tilting windmills, I see. Right until the end. Get off the bike. Get off the bike. Step away from the bike. Take your stupid mask. And he's also this man in a world full of women and little girls, and he's physically overpowering of them, and just, like, when he's busting into houses, the woman's like, do you have permission to be here? He's like, I don't need any permission. He's just, like, (laughs) ripping masks off girls, kicking down doors. You wait a minute. Do you have permission to charge in here and just destroy No! I don't need anybody's goddamn permission! I'm going to search every inch of this town in the next three hours, and anybody who interferes will be brought up on murder charges. You got that? You have my permission to stay out of the fucking way! Like, he can sort of do whatever he wants, and, like, what I love about this is that, like, the crazier he gets in terms of the character just trying to figure out, get some kind of help or some kind of answer, all the women and the girls are just, like, laughing at him in his face. They're just like, look how <laughs> insane you are. You have no idea what's going on right now, and you're, <laughs> you're about to die really soon, and you don't know. 
Yeah, that's got to be like the worst feeling when you're the butt of the joke, right? Kind of thing. And this is taken to the most extreme degree. And like, what a horribly cruel joke. Like, they play on him. Like, he opens up the wardrobe and like a little girl falls out limp like she's dead. And he like freaks out. And they're like, haha, just kidding. It's like he saw the devil. Like, he like scatters out of that house through the back door. Like, his hair's going to turn gray from shock or something. I guess enough is enough because it's not too long after this when he just starts like full out punching and kicking women <laughs> that he just like he walks back to that main I guess like the meeting area like the, the hotel or the motel or the bed and breakfast or whatever you want to call yeah, it yeah the inn and he just walks down the stairs and up to this woman doesn't say a word to her, just punches her in the face he steals her bear costume he gets into this all out brawl with Lily Sobieski throwing her <laughs> into walls doing basically roundhouse kicks to her yeah. I mean he is just going all out in terms of just like enough is enough None of you are helping me. I'm going to get answers the way I need to get answers. And if not, like, I'm not letting anybody stop and get in my way. Yeah, like, the the whole fight scene. And what is his spoils? A ridiculous bear suit. (laughs) Yeah, and he's going to punch out three women in, like, the next five minutes. It's just, like, punch one out to get the bear suit, beat up Lili Sobieski, then get in the bear suit, and then while he's in the bear suit, he's gonna have to punch out the hornblower who's by the (laughs) sacrifice tree. It's just madness. I don't know what point where they said, you know what, punching one woman is tough. That, I don't know if we can get away with that. He's like, fuck it, like, let's do three. He's like, what? You mean two, right? He's like, no, three. Like, we're just gonna go balls to the wall. And maybe it's the rule of comedy. By the third one, you get it. It's it's just ridiculous. And he punches that third woman to rescue the girl, and it is Rowan. She's safe and sound on the island, about to be sacrificed, though, so he gets her out of there. And then she starts to run away from him, and he chases after her, comes face-to-face with the entire island. You know, a lot of these case club movies, it seems like everybody that we've met in the movie all comes together at the end. <laughs> Although I feel like this is the first time where they've all come together to kill the main <laughs> character. That it's a weird kind of twisted reunion where they're all like, look, you came here of your own free will. Isn't this great? Prepare to die. Welcome, Mr. Malis. You have come of your own free will to keep this appointment with the Wicker Man. Stay back! And now the game is over. Did he come under his own free will was, like, my main... Like, they lured him there. I guess, ultimately, like, he decided to show up, but it was a ruse, you know? It's <laughs> They make it sound like they had nothing to do with it. Like, you stumbled upon our community, and, you know, shame on you. Like, you must pay the sacrifice. This was meticulously planned for, like, a decade. Yeah, and it's just he's had so many chances since showing up <laughs> to just head back and be like, nope, this is some weird shit going on. I'm out that i guess it almost is like he brings himself to his execution willingly just because of his lack of giving up i will say this though i I love the imagery of them like out in the woods and stuff like that like it's very basic something about it creeped me out about like these adults dressed up like animals performing this pagan ritual in the woods it's funny and absurd and no it like you know i'm not going to lose sleep over it or anything however i could see you know in the original a lot of this plays out the same way towards the end you know you get a lot of the same humans wearing the animal costume type thing or at least they're dressed up in costume and it's much more bizarre and stuff and i I always felt that worked and i would like to have seen you know something more like that in horror and what i like about this is that they make it seem like it's a good thing that he did something good they're like be proud 
proud of yourself. Like, look what you did. You <laughs> saved our island. And he's like, I don't want to do this. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. You know, your fate was sealed years ago when you slept with this, when you compromised this woman, made her pregnant for this little girl. You had no idea that this was going to be your downfall. But like, we knew it back then because we're magic, maybe. But we're not going to show you that we're magic. We just might be magic. And they are. At this point, the, the rest of the inhabitants of the island are so cool with all their animal masks, their plan, their just like weirdness that I'm like, well, Nick Cage, it's been fun, but you got to go, man. Like, I'm not, <laughs> it's a bummer, but I'm not really like, oh, no, he's, they're going to burn him alive. I'm like, eh. And then I started wondering, is he just their insurance plan? What if they didn't have a terrible harvest? Like, he's just, they were just kind of keeping him just in case this whole time. That's <laughs> the way I was looking at it in a way. It's also like, man, you're going to go down pretty harsh, and it's all because you had sex with a woman you loved and wanted to marry, you know? <laughs> like, you did nothing wrong to really deserve this, and, no. and that's, like, the worst part. Duped from the beginning, and then confined to a life where he gets to be pinned down on logs, have his legs broken, have, like, a beekeeper's mask poured over his head, and then bees just dumped into his face. Ugh. It's a miserable way to go out, and he's, like, screaming the entire time, like, this is murder, this is murder, what are you doing? They're like, we're just gonna go for it, because... <laughs> We're, like, we're committed to this plan. You bitches! You bitches! This is murder! Murder! You'll all be guilty! And you're doing it for nothing! Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! Yeah, the knee-breaking scene, I, I looked it up on YouTube because the version I rented didn't have it. It's really brutal because they don't just snap them, like, they prop them up and bend them backwards with the sledgehammer. It's one point where, like, you know, the rest of the movie's like, oh, you're a bumbling cop, this is silly, this is weird, but this is a point where it gets really, really brutal and very violent in 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah, and, and they show it, too, you know, like, oh, yeah. they show it full frame and everything, and, and I'm wondering if maybe, you know, that's why it was cut, is because, like, it's more of just bizarre, strange mystery movie, it's not really a horror film or, like, you know, a gross-out movie, we just get that pilot who got kind of wicker-manned a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm wondering if, like, they cut all this stuff out because it's just brutal, like, it goes from zero to 60, and then it goes from, like, 60 to 160 when they bring on the bees i mean just the thought of that like i sort of have a bit of a bee phobia myself i'm not like allergic but i don't like to get stung and i just don't like the idea of them being poured all over my face oh, oh, no 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 moment ah what oh what is it what is it what is that what is that what is it oh no no not the bees not the bees ah oh, no, my eyes I like that they also save him from dying from the bees with the EpiPen. Like, you know, it's the modern medicine, the modern world, it's Cage's way of saving. Like, we can't let him die out here, we have to let him die in the Wicker Man. And so they save his life, they carry him in that burlap sack to the Wicker Man, and they bring him up, they sort of hoist, hoist him up, and then Rowan lights him on fire, and then he just dies. <laughs> he just screams until he's dead. And it's like a real, real downer of an ending, but it's also kind of awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of questions, at least I had around that. Like, okay, they break his legs, obviously, so he can't escape. What's the significance of putting him in the bee helmet and pouring them in? Yeah. 
And then what's the significant of they use the EpiPen earlier in the film? She says they saved him the old fashioned way. So, well, did you just use an EpiPen too? And you didn't want to cop up to that? <laughs> and then, yeah, they raise him into the Wicker Man past all the other sacrifices. Like you can see a chicken in there, a goat in there on the way up. Yeah, the whole thing about the bees and stuff, maybe it was just for torture's sake, you know, they just wanted to play with him some more, but part of me thought about just how kind of cool it was to, all right, we killed him, but now we're going to bring him back to life just to kill him again the real way. I don't know, there's just something like diabolically evil about that, and I thought that was kind of a funny touch, too, is just like, oh, look, here's something you brought along that we found. Here's that technology you like. Look, we're using it on you, and oh, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't let you die of these things oh okay here we go on with the festival and yeah and i also love how when he's being dragged up he's just another animal to them right he's just like Mm -hmm. another creature to sacrifice to the bee god (laughs) poor poor cage this is another one i mean we haven't really had have we had cage on screen deaths in a while we had him die, one of his characters die in adaptation. Um, I think that was the last time. This is sort of his first attempt at anything close to horror. You know, I was thinking at points 8mm was as close to we got to horror previously to this, but that was just like a super dark mystery. I don't think we're going to get anything close to horror again. I think this is kind of all he ever really does. Yeah, I think it was just adaptation was the last one. So we, have, we haven't had a cage on-screen death in a while, and this kind of goes out in a literal blaze of glory. <laughs> So there's some, some there's some cool kind of references in this movie to the original that we didn't talk about. Apparently, they're in the police station when he goes at the beginning of the movie. There's a missing poster with Edward Woodward's character from the original one. Oh. So the original cop, there's a picture of him on a missing poster in the police station. So that's kind of cool. Nicholas Cage's character is named Edward, and Willow's last name is Woodward. So it's the first name, last name. According to IMDb... The writer and director of the original film and Christopher Lee both hate this version, (laughs) but Edward Woodward, the star of the original, said that he was offered a part in the movie and declined, but was surprisingly impressed by the quality of the script. And that might be because roughly 80% of the lines in this movie are taken from the original, just like twisted around in different contexts and different sort of order. Okay. But most of what's in this movie, line-wise, dialogue-wise, is the same as the original. That's sort of a big remake, reboot thing to do, too. I remember, like, when Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, he was, like, just sort of giving lines from the original to other characters. Like, if a monkey said it in the first movie, like, a human would say it in his movie. So that's... that's mm-hmm. I could see that. Another thing is that Nicolas Cage's character's name, his last name was Malus. Or malice? Malice. Malice? Malice, which is a combination of male and phallus. That's how creative this movie is in terms of naming its characters. Uh, apparently, Winona Ryder turned down a role in this movie. I don't know who she would have been, but I guess she just would have been somebody on the island. I'm guessing she might have been Willow, yeah, I can see her playing Willow. I like Winona Ryder. I, I missed that she wasn't in this. She kind of has like that haunted witch type vibe Beetlejuice baggage coming Mm -hmm. along with her a little bit. I could see that. I also could have seen, like, Christina Ricci in this movie somewhere along the line, too. This movie was nominated for five Razzies for Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Remake or Ripoff, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Screen Couple, which was Cage and his bear suit. Oh my gosh, that's not fair. (laughs) Thanks to Basic Instinct 2 and Little Man, he didn't win any Razzie. Those two won every Razzie in the five categories that this was nominated in. So this was one of the worst films that year, according to the Razzies, but not the worst. It was not the absolute dregs of the film industry. It was just one of the dregs. Yeah, and also in terms of trivia, I think he dedicated it to um, Johnny Ramone, didn't he? 
Yeah, and so we just actually talked about this because we did a Ramones documentary for this. Okay. That Johnny Ramone introduced Cage to the original. And so I guess because of that connection there, he felt that he should give him a shout-out. Like, he basically helped make this movie in terms of producing. It's like, hey, Johnny, here's a shout-out to you. Which is just funny because for such a terrible movie, I wouldn't want to be like, all right, I want to dedicate this to the memory of my late friend (laughs) and then make the campiest film ever. (laughs) If he wasn't already dead by that point, that may have been a contributing factor. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Anything else that you guys want to talk about for The Wicker Man? No, I just, I think the biggest thing for me was that if you rent it from Amazon, you need to go seek out the Not the Bee scene yourself, which is a letdown because I think that's such a treat. That's my favorite scene. So maybe Amazon can reconsider what version they have for people to rent. You hear that, Amazon? Change things Yes, up. take notes. What I like about the Blu-ray is that there's director's commentary with, I think, Lily Sobieski and someone else and the costume designer and maybe someone else. I don't remember who it is. It's five people. And they have to, like, sell the commentary, like, <laughs> unraveling the mysteries of the island. Like, that's, like, in the description of the commentary. Why would you want to listen to this commentary? Oh, I'm going to learn about the island. Okay. So maybe that's worth watching in terms of figuring out if the island is actually magic or not. Who knows? I don't know because I didn't listen to it. Yeah, this this film needs to come with its own Wikipedia that you can just be like, oh, okay, that's what that ritual is or that's what that stands for. Yeah, maybe it needs a Wikipedia. Uh-oh. Wow. <laughs> the last thing I, I guess <laughs> I'd have to add, um, I, I read one piece of trivia that blew my mind. And Cage said of all of the characters or all of the films that he'd like to revisit, at some point he said he would like to hook up with a really good Japanese or, or Asian horror film director, play this character, uh, do sort of a Wicker Man 2 where he's a ghost and he's haunting someone in Japan possibly for some reason i don't know the wicker the curse of the wicker man i'd love to see that didn't Lindsay gibb tell us that he's like setting up shop in china because that's where the next big movie boom is gonna be yeah 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 sort of so maybe maybe this one won't be too far off that would be great i mean we're coming up on bangkok dangerous so he's sort of you know he's (laughs) he's laying some roots maybe one day Oh, one other thing I want to point out is that the music in this movie is done by Angelo Badalamenti, the guy who's be- I, I know, best know him for doing most of David Lynch's stuff. It's weird to hear him do music that's not basically the Twin Peaks music. I'm not really familiar. I'm sure he's done a lot of movies that I've seen. It's just, when I saw his name, I was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. He did Wild at Heart, which we talked about. Cage is sort of closely affiliated with Twin Peaks. It's kind of cool to see Angelo in a kind of different sort of sense. I wish the music sort of stood out a little more for me and kind of carried a little more relevance, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't really pay too close attention to it this time. Next time around, if I ever watch this again, <laughs> definitely it'll be one of the saving graces, hopefully. I think this is a fun movie. I don't know if I'm going like, to recommend people watch it, but I like watching it. I guess it all comes down to what you're expecting, right? If you just want to have fun and just see weird stuff happening, you don't really care why it's happening, you just want to see weird stuff, you could do worse in this film. I think this, this, this sort of nails it there. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad film, per se. If you know what you're going into and all the the dream within a dream scene and the the not the bees and just the general, the lines when he asks her four or five times, how did this get burned? It is. It's enjoyable. It's funny. 
there's definitely a lot more questions that I have about it, but I, I'm okay with it. Like, even just the honey, do they sell that to other islands? Do they have, like, a little small batch artisanal shop that they send it to in, like, Portland, Oregon, because it's right near there? Well, they have that website, so, I mean, they have some kind of honey business. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do. Okay. They've got their uh, business down pat. They know what they're doing on this island, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie it looks really good, too. You know, it's got that going for it as well. It's competently shot. It looks good. You know, it, it's cut together. It plays. I, I, you, know, you know, like, I would recommend it to someone, but with sort of the pretext of try not to take this too seriously. This is something, you know, you're just supposed to put on and have fun with. Also, this is another movie that we've done that How Did This Get Made did. So if you want to hear people make fun of it even more and be funnier about it, check that one out. Because that was, I think, a really good episode, if I remember it right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Holly. This was a blast. You were a delight. No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for renting this on Amazon, even though they gave you the stupid version. That's all right. I'll I'll write them a strongly worded letter. Although I feel like the ending that you got with James Franco in the diner is more difficult to find online than the bees scene. So I think you got a little bit lucky there in terms of that ending in particular. Yeah, that was cool just to see that, you know, the cycle's going to continue. So for all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Everything Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that's Holly Gore. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. <laughs> <laughs>